Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. We are entering into the last few days of our preparation for what we call the Week of Weeks. Some churches call Holy Week. Uh, We are perhaps in the middle of that as you're listening to these last statements that we have been looking at during the month of March as we prepare for um, Easter, the Resurrection Sunday. What a glorious day. It's always a glorious day. It doesn't matter what the temperatures are. I grew up in the Midwest, and I can still remember my mother and father, and as a little girl, buying me a frock. I, there was no other word for it, and it was always fluffy and usually scratchy. And um, little patent shoes, whether white or black, and little socks to go with it. That's what I looked like. And a hat, of course, a hat. But the majority of Easter Sundays in Chicago were very cold and often snowy, and I would put boots on over those little shoes and big coats on over those dresses and go off. Now that I live in the Southwest, I have to be careful because it might be so hot I can't wear that dress. But I want to talk to you about this fifth statement, and it's quite a profound pair of words. The Bible that I have been reading from and studying from the last about 10 years now is called the Spiritual Formation Bible, and it's an NRSV, New Revised Standard Version. I spent most of my adult life in the Revised Standard Version, and it uses the two words in John chapter 19 at the end of verse 28, I am thirsty. In most of your Bibles, it will say, I thirst. And the entirety of the verse is after this, and there is much going on. He has just said, woman, here is your son, in John's edition, uh, his version. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture. What scripture? What's it in order to fulfill? I am thirsty. Well, thank you for listening to these statements. I hope that they are mildly encouraging to me, to you. They're always very encouraging to me. I have been going through these statements for decades now. Each week, um, the week of, one of the things we make available to you on the website, and I don't know what your week looks like, but if you have any freedom in your week for reading, if you have any books you can put aside for a week and go to something we provide on uh, our website as a free resource, and it's called the Week of Weeks. There are a lot of things that are called the Week of Weeks these days. But this is the week of weeks, and it has a reading, um, a reading assignment, starting with the first day, which would be Sunday of Palm Sunday, and then passages to read from all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now remember that the synoptic Gospels do not include John, 
dear brother John, who saw the world very differently than his other uh, gospel counterparts. And so there are many things that are spoken by Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are not spoken by John, not even addressed. So what we have tried to give you is readings from all the Gospels for each day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, straight through to Friday. And Friday there are long portions in every Gospel, especially in John. And then, of course, on the seventh day. If this is something you can make time to do this week, if you can forsake your regular whatever it is you do reading, could I be so bold to say forsake anything that has an option in your life? And I know right now as we begin to clear out of the pandemic and some of us are getting back into the mainstream, some of you are going to the to work, to offices, to places of employment when you have not been going to offices, your kids are going back to school, there's so much going on. And maybe you're the host of Easter Sunday and there are a lot of people coming to your house. But there's some part of your week that you can set aside for a week. Uh, Join me. I'm going to do this this year. I don't do it every year, but I do it most year. And I'm going to set aside all my readings and I will finish all of my Lenten readings and each day just open these passages. Uh, it's, It's an amazing week. It starts on Palm Sunday, and it ends on Resurrection Sunday. This statement, I thirst, has to do with water. And I am—I guess I'm surprised and sometimes stunned to see the complexities of each word and gesture. And I am sure that many who have written on these prophecies that are being fulfilled in this fifth st- statement— are as stunned as I am been. As we look at the fifth statement, though, we can see how the last three statements are connected. In order to get to the primary force of the fifth statement, which is, I thirst, we must note its setting. And Jesus, knowing all things, were now accomplish the scripture then he spoke that the scripture might be fulfilled, and he said, I thirst. Now, I just want to pause there because I said a few days ago with regard to one of the earlier statements, if you continue to remember the state of his physical condition, have you ever read any uh, survivor stories, survivors of the Holocaust, survivors of people who have been brutalized, or survivors of those who've gone out into the wilderness to hike and do incredibly difficult physical things. And in the middle of it, you know, something goes awry or they just suddenly become so exhausted that they often say they have a brain fog, like, like they're disoriented. They're so weak and weary from the absence of food or water The Sahara Desert films, you see them spread out across the white desert with the sun beating on them, and they don't have a flask, it's empty. And they're dizzy, and they're... I just want you to remember that the physicality of Christ's body is just that. By By the time he gets to this statement, he is wiped out. 
the different Gospels, we catch different frames of this picture that we're trying to draw of what these last statements look like. And if you were looking at these statements as a photo in frame, you would find that Jesus is exhausted. He is nearing the end of his life. He has less oxygen. You know what happens when we have less oxygen? He's fighting hard to push himself. For those of you who have read much about this or seen The Passion of the Christ, which is an amazing film, not to be taken lightly, but his need to be able to speak is to the ability to push on his feet who that have nails pierced through them to push himself up so that the pressure of his lungs, which the rest of his body is leaning on, would give him enough oxygen to speak. Just two words. I thirst. Now, some of you know me and know of my writings and teachings on preparation. And I often say that preparation is the key to success in any attempt we make. Get prepared. You will do much better if you're prepared for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, for Christmas and Easter, for relationships, for facing Christ at the end of your life. You will do much better. But I also believe that the ultimate plan of God is revealed as we go. And Oswald Chambers often uses this phrase in his utmost for his highest, be ready, be a ready person. Don't you love that? I want to be a prepared person who's ready. Ready enough that I don't have to worry about dinner tomorrow or groceries next week. I'm ready to hear his voice and make a turn. Jesus is both. He's prepared and he's ready. He knows the plan, but as I said last time we were together, he's unrelentlessly obedient. And doing this, he is keeping his end of the agreement and bringing the agreement to a meaningful connection to all God has said and planned and all Jesus has said and done while he was fully man and fully God. Again, a mystery. Now, water is a metaphor that we find in the scripture over and over again. Moses strikes the rock and the water gushes. The children get right to the edge of the Red Sea and the Red Sea parts. The Samaritan woman at the well is ordered, offered water, but water of a different sort, not to quench her thirst physically, but to quench her thirst for the rest of her life. Psalm 42 reminds us, as the deer thirsts or longs are the flowing streams, my soul thirsts for the long longing I have of the loving, living God. And John ends his account by the, using the Samaritan woman by telling everyone who drinks of this water shall be thirsty again, as he points to the well, but those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty The water I give you will become in them a spring of gushing eternal life. And what does she say to him? Sir, give me this water. I love the simplicity of that. I got it. I got it right away. It sounds complicated, but I got it. Give it to me. I want it. In the Bronx, there is a chapel um, that's dedicated to Mother Teresa. And across the entrance of it, it says, I thirst, I quench. I can never say that without having rush of emotion. My thirst 
for God is always quenched by God. I thirst for other things. I have thirsted for things that have not been so good for me. I have thirsted for things that I sought to find quenching personally. But when I thirst for God, he always quenches my thirst. After Jesus screams out, why have you forsaken me? Scholars believe that he used a large portion of his energy to cry out. In some places they call those utterances like screaming out. And while he has passed through six hours of unparalleled suffering, his mind is still clear. Did I bunny trail off there and start to talk about that and never came back to it? It is staggering to me that he, he's, he recognizes, after what he's been through, he recognizes that this is John the Beloved and this is his mother. And he does that statement to the two of them. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think that... What I have recently been thinking about is that I am a wuss. Like, I am a wuss. I was reading a novel. Now, I love to read novels, but I'm kind of careful about novels because I can start to not want to finish. Oh, honey, you're hungry? Well, there's something in the refrigerator. Oh, the phone rang? Oh, they'll call back. I, I, can, I can stop. And, and I'm going to bunny trail here and tell you that many decades ago, I was an addicted novel reader. And I was finishing the last of a five-book, 800-page books, family trilogy. I cannot even tell you the name of that book right now. But I did these things like one more paragraph, one more chapter. When I get to the end of this complex family situation, I'll stop. And I wouldn't stop. I would just keep reading. I could read for five hours or six hours, and I could rush through, oh, my gosh, they're coming home from school. They're going to be home for dinner. And I could throw something on and clean everything up, including myself, and look like I had just been working all day. But I had been reading all day. And I will never forget it. But the Lord said, enough. And when I closed that book, I took a one-year, one-year fast from reading a novel. Like, I didn't pick one up. And after that, I had a hard time picking one up because I was afraid that if I picked one up, I would go back to it. So when I read something, because I love to read so much, about the suffering and the suffering of those who lived through World War II and the impairment of our memories, and then I see this messianic prophecy, this prediction being fulfilled, A.W. Pink, who was a Bible scholar in the 1800s, said Jesus overlooked nothing. What a proof is that he was divinely superior to all of these circumstances. And while I can tell you I've read these things, while I can tell you I've thirsted, while I can tell you I've been exhausted, while I can sympathize with some parts of this, never could I compare that to this? The reference here is to Psalm 69, 69, which is a Messianic psalm that describes graphically his passion. In a spirit of prophecy, he had declared, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And we know how that fits into the story. This remained yet unaccomplished 
The predictions of the previous verses had already been fulfilled. He had sunk in the deep mire. He had been hated without a cause. He had borne reproach and shame. He had become a stranger to his own people. He had become a proverb to his revelers and a song of the drunkard. He had cried out to God in his distress. And now there remained nothing more. And if you read Psalm 69, the things I just quoted to you are all there. Verse 2 and 4 and 7 and 8 and 11 and 12 and 17 and 20. He's done them all. And all that is left is for him to cry out, I thirst. Psalm 69 is telling us that at the cross, Christ would cry out, I thirst. When Peter draws his sword at the garden and they've come to arrest Jesus, Jesus says to him, the cup of Father, the cup the Father has given me, am I not to drink it? And so he does. In Exodus 12, we talk about the hyssop, which is used to sprinkle the blood of the Paschal Lamb on the lentils of the doorpost of the Israelites so that the angel of death will not pass over them. That is all Old Covenant. The new covenant is that Jesus seals it with his blood. The paschal lamb of the old covenant is the lamb of God in the form of Jesus in the new covenant. What does all of this have to do with me, Donna Otto, or whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your life is going like? I refer to Paul, who says, becoming all things to all people that by all means I might save some. God is doing something that has done something through Jesus for us. Posterity shall serve him. Men shall tell of the Lord to the coming generations as I am doing this day in 2021 and proclaim his deliverance to yet the children who have not been born. In some of your churches, every Sunday, you proclaim these simple words, Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ will come again. Very powerful. Think of saying that every week at least once. Christ has come. Do you believe that? Christ has died. Do you believe that? Christ will come again. In Jesus, life, death, and resurrection are the promise of coming again. We are called to live our lives that others will see and know that Jesus' death on the cross allowed me to be graced and have mercies in my life that I might have the living water coursing through my veins. I'm a generation that was yet unborn to the day that who spoke of the Psalms. Yet Jesus' crucifixion was for me and for those who are yet to come. I have two young daughters of my heart who recently had babies. And I think about who they were with a little baby inside of them They were the unborn generations that David talks about in Psalm 22. I have one little mama that I'm praying for, a dear daughter of my heart. I'm praying for her because her conception was so hard and so difficult. And the baby is four months old now inside his mama's uterus. No. Yes, uterus is correct. No. Womb. We can be all things to all men, as Paul says. We can never be everything, but we can be what God asks us to be. And I want to close my time by saying these simple three things that I would encourage you to look at as you look at this statement. You can learn his voice and know it. You can know the voice of God through the word and through his speaking to you with his presence. Secondly, you can abide. 
you can stay in his love. You can stay in his love and stay in the listening posture to his voice. And you can be like Jesus, on relentlessly obedient. We will know why Jesus spoke these last words, connecting us forever from one generation to another. We do not stand on the shoulders of those if we do not understand that we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. You are not here alone. Men and women who stood for Christ before you have given us the props that are necessary to stand for Christ in this time, in this worldwide crisis We stand together. The disciples Jesus chose and lived with for three years did not want Jesus to leave them. And you know why. I certainly can understand. If Jesus had been in that close communion with me, I would not be eager to let him go. So I hope that maybe this week of weeks in the middle of the ending time of our pandemic, that I hear your invitation to Jesus saying, come, come, dear Jesus, come. Come, dear Jesus, help me to be a woman who is willing to hear your voice and abide in it. And thank you, Lord, that you give us the strength to be unrelentingly obedient. I'm Donna Otto. This is Modern Homemakers. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of understanding what it means to be thirsty.